welcome back to Industry Therapy. Today, we're going to continue our series on TIA 5053A by talking with Dominic Noonan, who works on the manufacturing side of things at Perfect Vision. This podcast is provided by the Telecommunications Industry Foundation. This podcast, as well as much more additional content, can be found at tiffonline.org. Please welcome your hosts, Michelle Kang and Scott Stecker. Stecker, do you want to go ahead and give a quick introduction to Dominic? Yeah, we're pretty blessed today to be with Dominic today. Uh, he has been instrumental in the updates of 5053 to the new Rev A. Uh, put a lot of effort in on the back end of cleaning up the document, making it more legible, a little more understandable for the industry. How you doing today, Dom? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on, man. Sure. So give us a little bit of background on you. How long have you been in the industry? How long have you worked for PV? What's your background? So I started in the telecom industry in 2014. Yeah. Uh, at that time, that was my first job, my first real job right out of college. Um, but I was brought on more of the manufacturing side of things, so overseeing machinery, um, helping develop the workflows for the fabrication side. So from the beginning, I kind of knew how to physically make parts, but I didn't really know anything about what we were making or why. From there, kind of transitioned more into custom modification work from a detailing perspective. So taking mod sets, combing through them, taking site con visits, photos combing through those figuring out how to make a working product and then after that kind of evolved into the perfect vision mount development line uh, creating stuff from scratch so you know a lot of the background i had in learning how to make something manufacturable and making something that works in the field all kind of rolled up into the mount development stuff and so we've been working on mounts for what since 2016, 2015 timeframe. Yeah. So you were involved, obviously, in the core updates of 5053A that we've been working on since 2019 timeframe. Why would you say this came about and why did we need to update the standard? Uh, well, initially, the initial ask was that you had come to me to make some new pictures in regards to the offset loading. Um, I think that was one of the kind of least well understood points not just external but to the people who are making the standard as well you know we had a lot of discussions on how to control this offset loading how to describe it properly um, so initially it was you know make a couple of images to help clarify things and and that kind of evolved into more rigorous editing of of the standard reorganizing stuff like that to just help clarify all the different pieces of information that was that was getting thrown in there yeah i think the adjustments of moving kind of the examples to an appendix or annex i guess and yeah. uh, that kind of thing really cleaned up the standard quite a bit yeah i guess what were you seeing as a manufacturer on the first iteration of 5053 that drove to some of those major changes in in rev a as a manufacturer we spend a lot of time explaining the standard to any companies, to end users. 
just so they understand it, right? And to be able to point to a section and have that section be more concise and clear and able to, for someone looking in to understand it was one of my main goals for the new standard. Because the way it was before, it was very difficult to pinpoint the information you wanted to share. And so the way it is now, you can reference a specific section. It's very concise and you can get your point across very nicely. That was one of the main things that I wanted to change. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that we realized once we started using the standard was that 95, 98% of the mounts we were doing were category R. So that was really where the focus needed to be. So kind of shuffling the, the A's and the L's to the end just helps you find the the stuff you really need a lot, a lot better. One of the primary benefits to us is the ability to standardize from an analysis perspective, right? Because we can create batch runs from an analysis perspective on a huge slew of product lines and really standardize the way that we convey information to the industry. So a standardized letter structure, we don't have to be all over the place with different equipment and all kinds of different scenarios, right? We just have one rating that someone can interpret and use to basically specify our products for sites in a more easy manner, right? But I think one of the things that, you know, reasons behind why this standard update was necessary is just the way that it, the initial 5053 standard was adopted, it was kind of really transforming the way the manufacturing side of the industry had historically done things. And one of the key things that you all were looking for was really that apples to apples comparison between manufacturers for the user experience. What goes into how these mounts are designed that truly makes that an apples to apples comparison? Well, I think one of the best parts about this update is the clarification of where the loading needs to be on the antenna pipes. That helps with the comparison. You know that you know each manufacturer is loading their mount in a similar way, um, and that their results are going to be comparable. When you don't have those types of requirements, you know maybe they're putting equipment loading directly to the face pipe. Maybe they're putting it in the center of an antenna pipe. Maybe it's distributed along a member. You know, there's no real way to compare those types of loading cases. But with 5053, you now have specific locations to put your loads. You have specific requirements for what those loads mean. Um, so that kind of all levels the playing field. The two different load cases of point load in the middle and yep. then split at 10% 90% of the antenna pipe length. Yep, correct. You know, manufacturers were able to get away with really high capacities at zero offset for exactly the reason you were talking about. All that load was dumping directly into the horizontal member instead of being distributed along the antenna pipe. And so, you know, that really does make a huge difference in the ratings themselves. And it definitely makes a better experience on the user side. So, for example, on the engineer side or on the procurer side, when we're looking at things now, that mount rating, understanding how the mounts are designed on your end, 
is really communication to us in what a true equivalent is. If, if I'm um, trying to procure a mount and, and one mount is rated a 5053 and is not available from a particular manufacturer, I can easily determine what the equivalent mount would be from another manufacturer without even getting the manufacturer involved, right? I guess, what are the things that people are coming to you now most commonly for as opposed to prior to 5053? I do know we get less of just the wide open, meaningless note on a site drawing that says or equivalent which, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. Really what we see is kind of just like, I need a TIA 5053 mount, not not a specific classification, just the, you know, generic, I need a, an approved mount. We'll come back to that customer requesting that and say, well, we have a lot of 5053 rated products. What classification do you need? And that starts a whole conversation about, what does a classification mean? What does what do all these different numbers in the classification mean? Can I install these antennas with this crazy offset and still have the same rating, right? So all these different things that then goes into the education process of what we do to, to explain things and show things and really describe the intent of the standard to the various people purchasing products. Before it used to be hey, I have this specific RFDS and I'm on this specific site and I need you to make sure your product works for this scenario, right? So that's the main benefit to us as a manufacturer is we can easily compare the site conditions, their loading to our stated rating and tell them, yes, this product will work without needing to do a rigorous analysis on our products every time. Gotcha. So Dominic, don't go into the details because we don't want to put the audience to sleep, but high level, can you describe how you design a mount in accordance with the 5053 standard? Sure. We, I kind of have two workflows. One would be there's a customer who has a specific goal in mind for whatever loading, whatever site locations, and we're kind of creating a new mount for their project or whatever. So we would have an equipment loading in mind, we would convert that to a classification, and then we would kind of play around with a design to meet that classification. The way 5053 is set up with the loading, it's quite nice because you can set your frame loading to the requirements and then iterate your essentially equipment loading until you get to what you need. So that makes it a lot easier. You don't have to keep iterating the actual frame loading. From there, once we had a design, we would just iterate across the offsets that we need. And in some scenarios, we would also probably change out some member sizes and then iterate across those to get, you know, maybe a heavier duty version of the same geometric frame, maybe a lighter duty version of the same geometric frame. You know, that gives the customer different choices. You know, they want specific functions and features. And then they can pick the classification that meets whatever site requirements they have. So, Dominic, you mentioned how you use an iterative design process essentially to determine what the optimum loading scenario is for that design mount. Yep. When you design a mount to the standard and the engineer is seeing the mount rating on the documents, 
can they take into account that the mount has already been analyzed by the manufacturer or do they need to do a new mount analysis for that specified mount? They do not need to do a full mount analysis. What they need to do is find out the requirements of their site and determine the required mount rating for their site, which they can then use to select a pre-rated mount from the manufacturer. So essentially, the manufacturer is doing the analysis with a certain set of generic loading. The site engineer needs to make sure that their actual loading is less than mount classification is. Okay. And speaking of the classification itself, the numbers in the, cla the classification correspond to load values. And these load values are derived from the EPA of the equipment. How can we interpret that load essentially? Is that relative to the entire mount phase? Is that relevant to a single mount pipe? What are those loads tying to? The first number in the classification, so if it's an M1000, the first value is the extreme wind rating. That means that you would have 1,000 pounds of wind loading per antenna pipe. There's also a value in the classification which would give you the quantity of antenna pipes. So if you had an M1000 with four antenna pipes, Theoretically, you could have 4,000 pounds of equipment when loading. You had a mount with three antenna pipes. You could theoretically have 3,000 pounds of equipment when loading. And then there is a separate value for the extreme ice case. In those scenarios, the 1,000 means that you can have 1,000 pounds of vertical dead load, including your ice, and 250 pounds of wind load. The fractions and the ratios that you just walked through are all defined in the standard, correct? Correct. So that's, it's just a simple one to two or one to four, depending on which scenario you're looking at. Also, the main difference between class R, class A, and class L mounts, correct? So with the class R mount, you incorporate the wind loading as a frontal and a side at the same value. With an A, you would have less side loading. And then when you get down to an L mount, you're no longer considering the live loading uh, maintenance conditions. So Scott and Dominic, as a manufacturer, how difficult was it to adopt this standard and what considerations went into that? For me, it's been easy because it's kind of all I've ever really known. The loading is well-defined. The load combinations are well-defined. Um, there aren't too, too many unknowns from that perspective. Yeah, and from a execution standpoint, documentation is standardized. You can use the same 5053 letter for multiple customers. I mean, streamlines the front end side of things and the communication with the customers. This standard is a voluntary standard, right? And so an end user can adopt the requirements of this standard or they can choose not to, right? And so... There's also the convincing of the end users, all of the benefits, not just from a manufacturing perspective, but all the way down the line through A&E, through construction, through post inspection. And then the next time they want to use this mount, there are a lot of benefits to the whole life cycle. You mentioned that 
TA 5053A is a voluntary standard. Why does this standard stand alone from ANSI TA 222? So 222, if, if we're specifically only talking about mounts, really gives the guidance on doing a, a site-specific analysis with site-specific criteria, whereas 5053 splits up the workflow involved in doing an amount analysis. Whereas if you're running under 222, you kind of just need a single mount engineer who's running the full mount MA. 5053 distributes that workload, taking some for the manufacturer to run the initial ahead of time classifications, and then handing off to the site engineer who can do the mount selection on the back end. Um, and you know, because it's voluntary, if, if the site engineer really wants to, they can just do their site-specific analysis. One of the other nice ancillary benefits is you can design site requirements without needing any information from the manufacturer regarding member sizes and whatnot. You just need to do your loading comparison to figure out your minimum classification. And you don't need any information regarding the structural part of a mount to do that, right? You just figure out your classification, actually publishes a rating, do the comparison, and that leaves really all of the information side of things on the mount on the manufacturer. Now, section six of the standard does define documentation requirements from manufacturers. So there are two different tables. There's a table of basically more or less information that's required to be public that a manufacturer puts out, classifications, drawings that reference a bunch of different information, um, all the stuff that uh, engineering company end users need to know. And then there's also manufacturer maintained documentation, which is all of the analysis files and obviously the fabrication information on the products themselves. And, you know, the standard requiring those has been a really a good thing for the industry as a whole, I think. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the challenges that you've had in terms of the communication that you're getting and a lot of the education that you're doing on your end as a result. What other challenges have you had with the communication of mounts rated to this standard with your customers? The starting point for our challenges is always when we get someone who just asks, how much can your mount hold? Then we can kind of get into describing 5053 to them. You know, here's all our information. It's still difficult to get people to buy in sometimes. It can be a challenge to get them to understand how it could benefit them to dive into the standard and really understand it. I think that one of the biggest challenges is having people understand how to convert a specific set of equipment that would be on an RFDS into that minimum classification, because that's really the work that they need to do. And that's really what Section 7 of the standard does really well. If you follow that section, you can very easily take your required loading and transcribe that into what my minimum classification is for that site. That's really what the legwork that needs to be done on the front end in order to you know, properly communicate with the manufacturer 
throughout the front end of the procurement process. All right, we'll close with one final question. Dominic, outside of what we've already talked about, what do you see that is most commonly misunderstood about this standard? Amount rated to 5053 has a classification value. It isn't just rated to 5053. And that the classification value is really the important part of what you're getting out of 5053 and not just a generic, you know, this is 5053 approved. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. I think someone requesting a 5053 rated mount doesn't really mean much. Uh, you really have to know what your minimum required classification is for them, for then someone to say, yes, this product will work. It has a classification greater than what you need. Right. So just what you're talking about, Scott and Dominic, for example, you could have one mount with an infinite number of different classifications because there's so many variables that you're putting into that classification rating. If they want to have less mount pipes, they can have a higher load. If they want to have a higher load, they can have, you know, so it's all different types of combinations. So you're really just looking for the user to tell you what combination they need for their design so you can tell them if the mount will work for that. Exactly. Okay. Well, Dominic, thank you for taking the time to be on our show today to talk about TA5053A. And we look forward to continuing to work with you in the future as this standard continues to evolve based on the needs of our industry. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Industry Therapy presented by the Telecommunications Industry Foundation. The information expressed herein are the opinions of the individuals. They are not meant to supersede regulations, standards, or AHJ requirements that govern the referenced subject matter. To view additional TIFF podcasts and other educational content, or to submit a potential topic for a future podcast, please visit our website, tifonline.org.